Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 4. The Leaky Cauldron. It took Harry several days to get used to his strange new freedom. Never before had he been able to get up whenever he wanted or eat whatever he fancied. He could even go wherever he pleased, as long as it was in Diagon Alley. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Jolie Doggett. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jolie. We're glad to have Jolie Doggett back with us as our guest co-host today. Faithful listeners of this podcast will recognize Jolie's voice, and you will recognize her wisdom as we continue our conversation. <laughs> Jolie is a freelance writer and editor who works to promote the work of Black women and women of color. She works at Netflix, and you can find her writing at joliedoggett.com. Great news is that Jolie is going to be with us for our episode. She's also going to stick around for our Patreon perk this week, for our Every 
flavored beans segment, and we are going to have a great topic. We're going to do a Dragon Ball Z Harry Potter mashup because both of us are fans of both of those things. I'm so ready. Every week we have a, additional content that we record. And if you'd like to have access to this, please go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text to learn more. So this week, Jolie, you are going to tell us a story about home. Yeah, I picked the theme this week. And in my normal fashion, I had no story in mind when I picked the theme. It just is the first <laughs> word that popped into my head when AJ emailed me. But I actually, I came up with a story that is kind of weird when it comes to the theme of home for me, but it's going to be a quick one. So I want everyone to travel back in time to the year 2009, a whole, shoot, 13 years ago now? Goodness. I, it was the end <laughs> of my freshman year in college at the University of Maryland, College Park, go Terps. I was having my last day of classes, my last day of exams. It was the very, very last day of school. And it was the most important exam of my collegiate career at that point, not only because I was a freshman and everything is important when you're a freshman, everything is an emergency, but it was the exam for in journalism school, you had to get a C or above in order to stay in the program. If you did not get a C plus or above, you would be kicked out of the journalism school and had to get a different major. And I wanted to be a journalist my whole life, so I wasn't going to get kicked out of the best journalism school in the country. So I had studied for this exam. I was fully prepared and I went to bed the night before nervous, but ready to take the exam. And I overslept. And I was about 20 minutes late to this examination. I ran across campus in my pajamas, sat down, had no pencil, was just a mess. I was so frustrated and sweaty as I am now. <laughs> and I took the exam. I have no memory of the examination at all. I just remember that I went through it. I was I sat there for a good two hours. I didn't have my whole two and a half hours because I had overslept. And I sat there for two hours. And when I looked up again at the end of time, I just felt like I was in a completely different world, a different state of mind. I was dazed. I was confused, still had crust in my eyes. I was a mess and super depressed and low and just exhausted and depleted. And I walked through the hallways like a ghost and I headed to the doors and I opened the doors and bright light hit me. And I looked down the steps of the building. And the first thing I saw was my mother. She was standing right outside, Aww. ready to pick me up, pack me up and take me back home. And immediately I felt this feeling overcome me of coming back to my body, of coming back to myself and realizing what was really important. It wasn't necessarily that exam. It was just being happy. And I wasn't home yet, but seeing my mom standing outside smiling immediately gave me the sense of, oh, I'm I'm home now. This thing I've experienced is just a part of life. It's not even real. I'm really stuck in my head at this moment. But what is real is the love of my mom, this four-hour car ride we have ahead of us, and a good bed with a non-plastic mattress that I will sleep on when I get back to my actual home. But that's what I want to talk about today, Matt, is like what actually creates home? Is it a person? Mm -hmm. Is it a feeling? Is it a physical place? When do you know you're at home? When do you know you're not at home? And also, how does Harry experience those feelings or that definition of home throughout this chapter? So I had two questions about your story. First, did you pass? You passed? Yes, I got an A. Oh, excellent. Yes. You didn't even need the extra half hour. It, to I make didn't. it fair for everybody else, they had to give you only two hours. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah, someone sabotaged me. Someone someone turned off my alarm. They knew you were going to ruin the curve. 
<laughs> I mean, the other question, and this is just out of curiosity, but it's also kind of half related to your story. Like, it was a four-hour drive, so you're not from that area. No, I'm from Hampton, Virginia. I'm from the South originally. Yes. That's right. Okay. Currently further South in North Carolina. So like that rubber mattress and Maryland was away from home in that sense as well, right? Yeah. I didn't know anyone in Maryland. I was 16 years old when I started college. So I was in a new state, a new city, surrounded by all these big people. (laughs) Like I was (laughs) was really young. I also was short. So I still am short. I'm five feet tall. So everyone really was huge to me. (laughs) And it it was just a completely new experience. But at the same time, Maryland quickly became my home. Like when I first met Vanessa and Casper, I was living in the DC area. Like I eventually yep. settled in there. Um, and now I live in another state. And before this, I moved to New York where I also was uncomfortable surrounded by big people and big buildings. But eventually that place became a home of mine too. I have yep. four homes. And then when I eventually go visit Matt and Vanessa, I'll have yep. a whole, a fifth home. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's interesting because that's where I thought you were going with your story. When you started saying it was the last day of freshman year, I thought I thought you were going to tell a story that like going home to your childhood home or your family home felt like leaving home also because you had right developed this sense of home. You know, each week on the podcast, we have this thing called Etymology Corner, right? And mm-hmm. the word home comes from this old Germanic root, which is ham, which is exactly the, the word we get hamlet from, like a hamlet, like a oh. little village. And so home actually means like, not like the building necessarily, which is what we actually often associate it with, I think. It actually means like your place. Wow. And, and another way to think about that is like what I think about when I hear that is like where your people are. Right. I love that. I also right? like. And your people showed up at the foot of that building. Your mom showed up. And so home was there. Literally showed up. And I was not expecting her. She was ready to go. She was ready to go to her home. She was like, look, I know where you're going to be. And as soon as you walk out, we're packing up. But yeah, oh, I love all these connections. Matt's always connecting the dots. I love it. There's also something about belonging. Like we've talked about belonging as a theme on the show before. We talked about inclusivity recently on the show. I think that there is home has something about your place, your people. Being at home, I think just intuitively, we we have a sense of like just where you belong, where you know you belong, right? And yes. And sometimes it's an instinct, like you drive through and you you see a house and you're like, oh, I belong there. And sometimes it's something you cultivate because you get to know people or get used to an area or whatever. Yeah, but that that's a great story. Thanks for for kicking us off. Thanks for listening. So Jolie, now it's time for our 30 second recap. You know it's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. You're very at home with this. I'm very, I'm very, no, that's right. Would you be willing to count me in? Absolutely. Three, two, one, go. So Harry wakes up in a leaky cauldron and uh, he has breakfast and he's happy because he's free and he goes out and he gets some money and he starts wandering around and buying stuff. And then he gets, uh, he sees a firebolt and that's amazing. And he sees the uh, the book of monsters is very vicious as a big cage. And then, the, and then uh, Harry meets Rod and Hermione and they're there and, and, uh, and they, they, talk and then they have dinner at the at the leaky cauldron and and uh something else happens that i can't remember but the the big thing is that he finds out because molly and 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 arthur are talking that that he's under attack oh that was awful <laughs> i got lost what was the thing i was trying to remember oh i remember the thing i was trying to remember oh there's you're not going to tell about... me so i can't remember no I, tell you, I was there's this whole thing there's all the drama between percy and the and the head boy and all that stuff that, big that head I, boy that yeah big head boy that i that i missed all right Okay. Redeem my terrible attempt at a 30-second recap, Jolie. I'll do my best. On your mark, three, two, one, go. 
Okay, so the chapter starts off with Harry having run away from home and staying at the Leaky Cauldron, and he's eating a lot of ice cream. He's doing a lot of homework. He's spending a lot of money. He sees a fireball. He also sees Ron and Hermione at some point, and he sees Scabbers and Crookshanks also sees Scabbers. Crookshanks is a cat, and um, he also sees Fred, <laughs> George, and the Weasleys, and Percy is head boy now, and then he hears Mo- Molly and, and Dad talking about Sirius Black, and Harry promises that he will not die, and Amir is very encouraging. <laughs> that was excellent. That was that was masterful. That, that, I almost forgot about the firebolt, and I was like, you got, I yeah, the, "Who cares about the firebolt? The firebolt like is the worst detail." I forgot about the thing. I even forgot the thing. I forgot. I thought the thing I forgot was Percy. It was Crookshanks. It was Crookshanks. And, Crookshanks. and Scabbers. That was the thing. Okay, we got it. So teamwork. So Julie, we have this theme of home, and we have all these rich ideas that came out of your story about belonging and inclusion and place and and people. Where, where would you like to start? I actually would like to start a little bit before the chapter with the fact that the whole reason Harry is here is because he ran away from home. He yeah. he ran away and thanks to Cornelius Fudge, he now has a new place to stay and quickly begins to feel more at home there in the place that he's never been than he has in 13 years at the Dursley's place. So I'm wondering like, what is it about the Leaky Cauldron that feels more at home than number four, Privet Drive? Yeah. I really noticed that as well in, in the chapter. And I have a couple of theories about, about that. So I'm interested to hear what you think, right? So one is that right at the beginning of the chapter, he just talks about like how he has this freedom he's never experienced before, mm-hmm. right? And that made me think about sort of at the Leaky Cauldron, I mean, he can't leave Diagon Alley, which fair enough, right? But he can come and go as he pleases. He can go to places in Diagon Alley. He can do what he wants to do, which is obviously the exact opposite of what he has at the Dursleys, right? Where he is confined to the cupboard of the stairs or his room or whatever, like he has no freedom in it. And it made me think, okay, what is it about freedom Mm. that makes a place feel like home? Because like on the one hand, I thought, if we associate the home with the building, mm-hmm. there's something about him being able to leave the building that yeah. makes him feel at home there, where he his other home, the Dursley's home at least, like he is totally attached to that building but feels less at home there. I think it has something to do with trust. Like they trust him to to go out. They trust him. Like there's a there's an, a recognition of his personhood through that trust that mm-hmm. makes him feel at, at home at the Leaky Cauldron. That's one of my theories. What, what do you think about that? I'm interested in the word freedom here, that Harry has this sense of freedom and that comes from other people trusting him, but it also just comes from his own ability to leave as he pleases, to spend his money as he pleases. It's making me think, um, and you can help me connect these dots because you're the master dot connector, Matt, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's making me think of people who leave um, a country to come to another country for Mm -hmm. religious or economic freedom or any kind of personal freedom. The the risk and the loneliness that's associated with traveling to a whole new place is weighed against the freedom that you would have in that place. And that freedom allows you to create, hopefully, hopefully create a new home, a new place that you can call home, a new place where you can really flourish. Harry also is flourishing in this chapter. Like, He's eating ice cream every half hour and he is finally getting his homework done without having to hide. And he probably has a bit more color in his skin. He has a bit more of a jaunt in his step. He's probably having a grand old time. He's like on vacation and he, but it's not really a vacation. It's 
to him is how he always should have been. So there's both freedom and flourishing. And Harry's freedom is also a bit of a privilege. He has the money to do what he wants to do. He has yeah. the political connection to, to do yep. what he want, needs to do. So he's able to flourish in this freedom. Right. But not everyone is. And that might also impact their feeling of being at home in a certain place. That was a great point because, I mean, it, it makes me think of like, well, I mean, you you began talking about like, this is a way to think about immigration stories of like for immigrants or migrants, like what the category of home gets complicated and fraught, right? Like mm-hmm. my mom's an immigrant from Japan. She she moved to this country. She's still a citizen of Japan, right? And in some ways, Japan is always home, right? She's here in this country. Yeah. She hasn't been able to go to Japan because of the pandemic. So she misses home in some ways. But she also tells me that like in 1960s Japan, when she left, like she was really, she really kind of bristled against gender roles for women in Japan. Mm. And there was something about coming to the States that felt more at home here for her, even though everything was different, even though she'd never eaten a green olive before and it almost made her gag when she, <laughs> when, she <laughs> when she had one at my grandmother's house, right? Like there was also something about just feeling more at home here because of the the, the relative freedoms for as a woman in this country with respect to what it was like in Japan, right? So yeah. like, yeah, I think freedom has something to do with it. But I, but then I think your circling back is really important too, because we also know, at least in this country and in many situations of immigration, migrants often have fewer freedoms mm-hmm. than than the people who are in power in certain places, right? Now, Harry, in this case has a lot of those privileges because he's a celebrity wizard, because everybody mm-hmm. knows him, because this takes place in England. And he, at least in our imaginations, you know, and I think in in the text, like he has this sort of gender and racial identities that work yeah. in England, right? Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of these these privileges. But we we can also understand how home can be a fraught concept for immigrants, not just because they might find opportunity and freedom in a new place, but also because they might find obstacles to freedom in that new place, yeah. both at the same time, right? And so that might feel like home and less at home at the same time. It's about who has access to that freedom yeah. that creates that feeling of home. And Harry yeah. has a lot of access. And I mean, even in contrast, in his in his Dursley home, Dudley has more access than he does. So like yep. he isn't able to feel at home in that sh- that physical structure of a house that yeah. is in the streets of Diagon Alley. So yeah, thank you for connecting those dots, Matt. I knew you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me give you my other theory then. Sure. On why he feels at home. I mean, it's it's interesting that you started before the chapter, Jolie, because you're right, he leaves quote unquote home mm-hmm. and arrives at this new place, which is so much more home. And in the first two paragraphs, I think we have all this all these suggestions from the text of what home might be. So we had freedom from the first paragraph. And in the second paragraph, the text tells us that Harry ate breakfast at the Leaky Cauldron. It says, he liked watching the other guests, funny little witches from the country, up for a day shopping, venerable looking wizards arguing over the latest article in Transfiguration today, wild looking warlocks, raucous dwarfs, and once what looked suspiciously like a hag who ordered a plate of raw liver from behind a thick woolen balaclava, right? Mm-hmm. I think one mistaken notion of home, you know, I said it's where your people are, mm-hmm. right? But like in this sense, your people doesn't suggest homogeneity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't suggest that everyone has to be the same. Actually, your people are just the people who, who accept you, right? And who exactly. you accept, right? Exactly. And so like, if you'll indulge like a story of my own, as our listeners know, my family and I moved up to Cambridge from outside the city and we moved our kids from what was a relatively homogenous school to a much more diverse school in Boston. And that was something we were excited about because we wanted more diversity for our kids' schooling. But 
what I didn't anticipate, but was really delightfully surprised to see or just delighted to see was like how, especially my my daughter, Cammie, who's in middle school now, how she flourished coming into the school, right? Wow. Because she came from a school where everybody kind of looked the same and wore like the same kind of clothes and drove the mm-hmm. same kind of cars. And there was a lot of comparison, right? But she walked into this school on the first day of school this year and no two people looked the same. They wore different things on their heads and their faces and their bodies. And they like they had different color skin. They had different languages they spoke. Everybody was different. And that just gave her freedom to be like, oh, I just get to be me. Yes. Right? Like, it's almost like she felt more belonging where everybody was different yes. than, than she felt in a place where, where belonging meant being like everybody else. Right. And so it was more at home on day one than in, you know, five years at a different school system. That's a beautiful story. One, because I, I relate to the feeling of always feeling like I fit in more with the the misfits of the world. Yep. The nerdy people who read Harry Potter at school dances. That was me. That was me and my people. <laughs> <laughs> the music was too loud. I didn't like it. But I also just <laughs> shout out to Cammie for just having a good time in middle school, period. Middle school is hell on earth. And I just, <laughs> I'm glad that she walked in and was just like, oh, I get to be myself and be happy. I didn't figure out who myself was until sophomore year of college, everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> not even at the end of my story. So no, middle school is terrible. I hope Cammy continues to have a good time. <laughs> I like the second paragraph too, Matt, because it starts out with Harry having a hearty breakfast. He has a good meal <laughs> several times throughout this chapter. And I think food is an important part of home. Like you even mentioned your mom kind of gagging at a green olive, which I am offended by because olives are like <laughs> one of my top 10 foods. <laughs> I literally ate like 10 yesterday, just hanging out on the couch watching TV. Um, but like having a good meal and like that kind of creates a sense of home, like having a, like, like the term home cooked meal is meant to evoke mm-hmm. some sense of feeling of warmth or, and also belonging and also care. If someone takes the time to prepare food for you, to me, that's like a sense of welcoming you into their home. And also Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I will never miss a Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house. I never have. When I get married, I have no idea what my husband and kids are going to do, but I'm going to my grandmother's (laughs) house for Thanksgiving every year. They can do what they want. But to me, it's the food, but it's also the family and also the house. Like all of it kind of comes together to create that sense of home. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about it. I just want to talk about food for a minute. (laughs) I think that's right. I mean, I think it's not, we have to pay attention to the fact that in this chapter where he runs away from home, right? This Mm -hmm. is, you think about the series, like the first two books, like this is a dramatic thing. He just ran away from home. Like that's huge. He left the Dursleys. He rejected that, that he rejected that place in the most explicit way he could so far in the series. And he ends up at Diagon Alley and you know, I just don't think it's accidental that he's eating all the time through this chapter, right? <laughs> like that, I think you're right. I think that like something about being comfortable means eating comfort food, right? Like yeah. he's eating a ton of ice cream all the time. And also like not to jump from the beginning of the chapter to the end, although I guess I'm going to jump from the beginning of the chapter to the end, right? The other <laughs> scene which really evokes home for me is he and the Weasleys gathered around this dinner table together. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it's not Thanksgiving, but it's a family meal. I mean, it's not at the borough, but... This is his chosen family. The Weasleys yeah. are his chosen family. And you can see all the dynamics of the family going on, the, the twins, Tease and Percy, and the, the conversation among M- Molly and Arthur, not the conversation 
the intense one they have later, but just around the dinner table, like, mm-hmm. this is him at home with his family in this place that feels like home, the leaky cauldron, like, and it it isn't just them sitting around chatting, it's them around a meal. There's something about that that, you know, this is Harry Potter, the sacred text, to use a sacred text word, right? Like, there's something that that meal consecrates the moment, like the fact Ooh. that they're eating together somehow lends like a holiness or a sacredness, I think, to to that moment, to their being together. I also want to say that the Weasleys feel at home around Harry as well. I, I like how we're home is becoming like a feeling now, um, but mm-hmm. they home also means a lack of certain feelings to me. Like they don't feel any shame around Harry. Like they're having full on yep. arguments. They're picking yep. on Percy. They, they're letting it all yep. kind of just hang out around Harry because Harry is as much a part of their family as anyone at this point. And Hermione. Hermione is there too. And they're like making sure she has everything yeah. she needs. They're like, make sure your stuff is packed up. Like they're picking on each other. They feel at home too. And there's no awkwardness. There's no shame. There's no feeling of like, oh, let's not let the side down around strangers. Yeah, It's just a very homey feeling. And sometimes home is that place where things are also a little uncomfortable, but there's mm-hmm you're comfortable getting uncomfortable in home. Like yeah. you're you're more so than you would be outside of the home. Yeah. I mean, it leads me to think two things, right? First of all is just credit to the Weasleys who are such welcoming folks. I mean, I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me until you said this because I was just thinking about Harry and the Weasleys, but also Hermione's there, right? So mm-hmm. here's like this child of muggles who they have just embraced. I mean, they will do so literally in a traditional family sense later on when when Hermione and Ron get together, right? But like, yeah. even at this early stage, they're welcoming her in, saying like, you are part of our our wizarding family. You don't come from a wizarding family, so we will be your wizarding family and we will take you to, to the Leaky Cauldron. You can yeah. hang out with us before you depart for school, right? And so it's, and it's just because they're good people. It's not because, because she's not a celebrity like Harry. It's just mm-hmm. like, she's Ron's friend. And so they are, they have that kind of, Welcome. And they're willing to let it kind of all hang out for for <laughs> Hermione, too. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think you're right, because at the end of the chapter, Harry is going downstairs in the Leaky Cauldron to get the rat tonic that, that Ron left downstairs. And as he's going, he hears Molly and Arthur in some kind of heated conversation, and he eavesdrops a little bit and learns, as you succinctly described in your 30-second recap, Jolie, he learns <laughs> that, that Sirius Black has it out for for Harry, that he's under attack. And then he concludes that the reason why he's been kind of cared for by the ministry, why he wasn't punished, and also why they're keeping their eye on him in Diagon Alley is because he's at risk. I mean, he thinks he's at risk of of murder by Sirius Black, right? Mm -hmm. Because he thinks Sirius Black is this most devoted, most loyal of the Death Eaters of Voldemort's troop, right? And he goes to sleep confident that he'll be okay because he's going under Dumbledore's protections. But your comments just now about sort of home being the place where people can just be themselves is, you know, this is probably the first time he's ever heard his best friend's parents arguing. Mm, (laughs) Right? That's true. (laughs) Right? And he's just like, okay. Like, it doesn't like, he doesn't go to bed thinking, oh, gosh, I'm really messing it up for them or, or I'm really causing a lot of problems for them. He doesn't internalize it as his, as his fault or anything. He's just kind of like, oh, this is a family. Mm-hmm. And they're concerned about me and they're talking to each other. Like it doesn't, it doesn't put him off that he's on, that he might be murdered, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> but it also doesn't put him off that he, like his, his friend's parents are fighting. He's just like, oh, that's just how it is. Yeah. Like there's something about feeling at safe in a place where people 
can express their emotions and, and talk like that, that that is something about home that I hadn't noticed before. Safety is definitely part of it. I also want to point out yeah. that we won't see angsty Harry blaming himself for everyone's problems for another two years at least. But right. <laughs> he gets he gets there eventually. But for now, he's kind of chill about it. That's right. But That's right. You're bringing up the argument <laughs> brings up an- <laughs> brings up another aspect of safety for me. There's a line during their conversation where Molly just says, "Well, obviously, you have to do what you think is right, what you think is best, Arthur." And I just love the fact that. She was just on his side and they're both Mm -hmm. on the same side and they're both on Harry's side and Harry feels comfortable that they're on his side. Like there's a sense of safety and protection. And I think those are also part of being at home. And I I don't think you can have that kind of safety and protection without that kind of vulnerability either. Yep. And yeah, Harry may be a little bit weird for thinking that like, oh, there's a murderer after me, but like, I'll be fine. (laughs) Again, there's that privilege that Harry has. It's just like, it's going to be all right. Who cares? But um, my biggest concern is that fireball's in the window. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I I agree with you that like home has to be a place of safety and protection. And that's something he didn't have at the Dursleys. And that's something he has strangely in the midst of this serial killer, alleged, alleged serial killer, Justice for Sirius, right. that's out to get him <laughs> while he's just walking the streets with pockets full of money. <laughs> he's just that's right. being carefree. I mean, we talked about the Weasleys, but there's also Florian Fortescue. He is first mentioned by name in this chapter. He's the ice cream guy who was helping Harry oh, with right. his homework and giving right, him free right, right. Sundays every hour. And he stood out to me upon this rereading because in book seven or book six i don't know exactly harry potter fans will correct me but he disappears from diagon alley during the rise of the second rise of voldemort and his absence as well as all the other boarded up shops was when harry first started realizing that things were changing and to me when certain people are not at home we don't feel as much at home anymore like when yep. I moved away, it my sisters, my cousins, they were kind of like, it was always a celebration when I came back, you know, not that I made mm-hmm. the house a home, but <laughs> it's just that, <laughs> it's just that it's something when everyone is together that kind of creates that sense of home. And we also see later, I'm jumping ahead books. He jumped ahead chapters. I'm jumping ahead books. Yep. But <laughs> when Percy eventually leaves home, the, the Weasley house yep. has this, this absence, this feeling yep. of it just wasn't complete without Percy being in the home. So, yeah, sometimes it's, it's the people that make home as well. The right people can make a place feel like home. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if people make a place feel like home, then the absence of certain people will make it hard for a place to feel like home. Right. Yes, absolutely. That's a really great catch from book seven. But right. If Diagon Alley feels like home now because of these wizards who are there who mm-hmm. support him when he returns to Diagon Alley and they're gone, he knows it's not safe. Like this question of safety arises again. And he knows like yeah. it's less of a home for him and for others like him or others who are on his side. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. 
Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Yeah, I, let's, Can we just talk about this question of safety a little bit more? Because, sure. I mean, I think that is why he why Harry feels okay going to to Hogwarts and also why we might say he feels at home at Hogwarts, right? I feel like in book one, he felt at home at Hogwarts because there was a sense of belonging. There were people like him, right? Mm-hmm. And now he already feels that, but an additional reason why he feels at home there is because Dumbledore's there and he believes that Dumbledore can keep him safe. But the argument between Molly and Arthur, I think, points to this tension between these two things that we have just said our attributes of home, safety and freedom, mm, right? Like yeah. you can't go to Hogsmeade. You can't be that free because that's not safe enough, right? That's true. <laughs> right? That's, that's, the, that's the administration's position. And Arthur and Molly's argument is about like, how much do we tell him? Is, is he free to know how much risk he's at? Or is it better to like not tell him and keep him safe or whatever? I mean, this, this is the, both of those things are important for home, a sense of freedom, but also a sense of safety. And especially for, you know, minors right like sometimes yeah. <laughs> those you have to balance those interests against each other as you think about how do we how do we care for a person best mm-hmm. um, how do we balance the interests of freedom and safety that's true bringing up safety again makes me think of a character in this chapter and throughout this book who feels very unsafe and that is scabbers also known as peter Pettigrew. this is the first moment that he encounters quickshanks and quickshanks actually gets a new home too okay we're feeding two birds on one biscuit there's like we have <laughs> we have quickshanks finding a new home and scabbers no longer feeling at home because he is no longer safe because of quickshanks and 
I want to connect this to the conversation we were having about safety and protection. And for a long time, scabbers found protection from Sirius Black of all people by like cuddling up with the Weasleys and Ron. And now he no longer has that safe space. And we see scabbers repeatedly run away as Harry did. Um, But we see him run away throughout this book and disappear and once again, fake his own death just so he can be in a place of safety that we know later on that Peter Pettigrew never finds. He never finds that sense of safety or home again. And I think it's because he abandoned the home, the people that he had in the first place by making the choice to stick with Voldemort. So that is one thing I want to talk about. But also there's Quickshanks, who is a new character, a frequent character throughout the books now. But this is our first introduction to Quickshanks, who finds a new home with Hermione. And eventually Ron and Harry, like they warm up to Quickshanks as well. And Hermione opening her home to Quickshanks to me is really important to talk about because home also requires permission. Like if I were to show up at Matt and Colette's house, which I plan to eventually, but like if I were to just show up, I can't just make myself at home. Like I need to like have their permission to come into their home, eat their food, speak to their children. Like it would be weird (laughs) if I just came in there without any kind of permission. I think there needs to be, there needs to be some sense of welcoming in order to create a sense of home as well. That's why we have welcome mats and stuff like, <laughs> to let people know you're allowed to come in. <laughs> but I don't know. You have an open invitation. Make yourself at home, Joey, okay. anytime you want. You show up at the doorstep. It's fine. You can okay. talk to our kids all you want. <laughs> Grab anything out of the fridge. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I think this is a really deep question that that I'm not sure this chapter gives us the information to answer. And I'm not sure the series does, because mm. as you said, like, why does Scabbers end up with the Weasleys? Like, why is that the, why is that the place that he hides out, mm. right? Like, the, of all the places as a rat he might hide out, why, why with this family? And are the reasons for him hiding there, are those reasons of a home, or is it refuge, or is mm. it hiding? Like, those are all... Interesting questions. But the the Crookshanks thing, that's something I wanted to turn to as well, because the shop owner makes a point of saying that, or at least Hermione makes a point of saying that the shop owner told her Mm -hmm. that he'd been there forever, but nobody wanted him. And she immediately wants him, and he immediately just jumps into her arms, right? And there is something about, I'm reminded of your story about finding your home in North Carolina, right? Like, when Mm -hmm. you see the thing that is home, you just know it's home, and you... And you're there. There's something between Hermione and Crookshanks in that moment, yeah. um, which I think has partly to do with his protectiveness, because I think he knows right away that Scabbers is mm-hmm. bad news. But it's not just about it's not just about Scabbers. There's something between him and Hermione, which is just an immediate connection of belonging and place and people and all the things mm-hmm. we've been talking about. Yeah, home is connection. Home is protection. Home is safety. Yep. Home is welcoming. Home is food. Home is people. Yeah. So this week, Jolie, our sacred reading practice is the practice of sacred imagination. And I believe you have selected a passage at random from this chapter for us to practice our imagination, our sacred imaginations upon. Okay, I did. I'm going to read it now. As the days slipped by, Harry started looking wherever he went for a sign of Ron or Hermione. Plenty of Hogwarts students were arriving in Diagon Alley now, with the start of term so near. 
Harry met Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, his fellow Gryffindors, in quality Quidditch supplies, where they too were ogling the firebolt. He also ran into the real Neville Longbottom, a round-faced, forgetful boy outside of flourishing blots. Harry didn't stop to chat. Neville appeared to have mislaid his book list and was being told off by his formidable-looking grandmother. Harry hoped she never found out that he'd pretended to be Neville while on the run from the Ministry of Magic. Harry woke on the last day of the holidays, thinking that he would at least meet Ron and Ronnie tomorrow on the Hogwarts Express. He got up, dressed, went for a last look at the firebolt, and was just wondering where he'd have lunch when he heard someone yell his name and he turned. Harry! Harry! There they were, both of them, sitting outside of Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlor. Ron looking incredibly freckly, Hermione very brown, both waving frantically at him. So one of the things I like to do, Jolie, when I, I'm new to Sacred Imagination, relatively new to Sacred Imagination, but one of the things I've been doing since we've been doing it is as I imagine myself into the scene, I've been trying to pay attention to the senses that the text doesn't describe. Mm. Um, so the text usually describes what, what's visible. And so I try to think about like, what do I hear? What do I smell? And I was getting a lot of sounds in this, yeah. in this passage. Like I just, I, I just heard like, you know, the commotion of a summer street. Mm-hmm. Like we just had a, a big snowstorm here and and a busy street in winter just sounds different because the snow muffles things mm-hmm. and it's slushy and sloppy, right? But there's something about a busy summer street where you can hear a lot of people are out because it's summer. So there's lots of voices. There's yeah. a sound of crowds. But there's also some of the sounds of like birds and and maybe music playing yeah. in open car windows. And so I just heard that I really... That was that came to me really quickly when you started reading. Just a sense of like a busy, happy commercial street in an active place. What, yeah. what what were you picking up as you read? As I read, I was picking up a sense of anticipation. Like Harry is anticipating seeing this firebolt for the umpteenth time. Like, and so uh, is everyone else, apparently. Yeah. Um, like he literally <laughs> is just taking field trips to see the firebolt at this point. And he's anticipating seeing Ron and Hermione. So to me, I was feeling a sense of excitement. Like it's another day, another day of his freedom, another day of the talking mirror. And he's just he's just hanging out and just having having fun and like not knowing what to expect, but only expecting good things. Like yep. that's a that's a beautiful feeling. I don't remember the last time I felt like that in the middle yeah. of a pandemic of just like, oh, good things are gonna happen today. <laughs> like, yeah. no. And it definitely <laughs> gave the feeling of summertime. <laughs> this summertime yep. and being young again. I, I I definitely got that feeling when I was reading it. Yeah. I think that's another sensation I had was just sort of apart from the summertime street, like something about the the ice cream, mm-hmm. right, is sort of like he gets up and he goes out and he sees him at the ice cream parlor. So it must be like morning, right? It must be morning. Yeah, it must be like mid-afternoon or early morning. Um, he He's walking past the the ice cream parlor when he right. hears Ron yell his name. Or it might have been Hermione. Yeah. No one knows. But they're both waving okay. frantically at him. Okay, yeah, right. I guess the other thing I was just thinking is like, you know, I mean, you know, it's summer, right? So I just felt some humidity on my face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like sort of like, you know, when you get like, like dew on your cheeks because it's hot outside, yeah. or like just before you get your ice cream in the summer. And so I guess I was thinking in my head, I was thinking this must be midday because it's like, mm-hmm. it's getting warm enough that people are starting to crowd around the ice cream parlor and, and people are starting to get their ice cream. And there's just something about that kind of heat and humidity of, of, a, of a summer's day that I could feel when you were reading as well. Yeah. Also all the smells of a summer day. <laughs> There's yep. lots of people That's right. around. <laughs> That's right. Lots of people in robes. 
that's the middle of August. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe that's why I didn't go to smell and went to hear it. I just, my, my imagination knew don't go there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Who were you when you were reading? Were you just kind of an observer or were you hairier? I think when I do Sacred Imagination, I try to imagine myself not as one of the characters, but as close to the action, but not one of the characters in the action, right? Who were you? Did you imagine yourself as one of the characters? Yeah, I felt like Harry, which is which is strange. Yeah. I normally don't read myself as Harry into these books, but I really felt like Harry just living his best life and being excited to see his schoolmates and remembering that like, oh yeah, there's there's more there's more to life outside of um, the leaky cauldron and like my experiences, like I have more to look forward to. Like I'm going back to school and I'm going to see everybody again. And now I'm anticipating seeing more and more people as I'm out in the streets. And again, I'm anticipating seeing this firebolt. Like I, and that makes me anticipate Quidditch all over again and seeing Oliver. Yeah, I was Harry. I was Harry when I was reading and I was really relieved and happy when Ron and Hermione called um, called my name. I was just like, oh, finally. Like, now I'm really at yeah. home. Like, now I'm yeah. definitely back among yeah. my people. Like, I love Seamus, love Dean, Neville's cool, but, like, these are my yeah. people, and I can't wait to tell them everything that's happened. So... Now, that that's really interesting, because I think that the way you describe that, that sense of anticipation, both, like, fulfillment of anticipation because seeing like these close friends, but also just a general sense of anticipation makes me think about our theme of home again, right? Mm -hmm. Because like home is the place where you have something to look forward to, right? Like home has a future. You have a future at home. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I think that's maybe another reason why the Dursley's place can't be a home for him because he knows he has no future there. He's not one of them. He's not going to be a muggle like them. He's not going to be, yeah. I mean, even if, if they were generous and kind and good and and wizard affirming muggles, he might have a future there. Mm-hmm. But because they're not, he has no future there. But he knows his future is with the short term future is, you know, Quidditch and and fall term at Hogwarts. But also long term future is these relationships, these people, this community, okay. the wizarding community. And so home is where your future is. Right. And even the, the subtle suggestions of anticipation that your imagination brought out for you, those are signals of this general sense of looking forward or anticipation that he has just with relationship to his community and to his school and to his friends. Yeah. It makes me think of my story again. Like I wasn't expecting to see my mom at at the bottom of the steps, but as soon as I did, this anticipation kind of came over me like, oh, we're, I'm about to go back where I belong, you know? And I got that feeling again when I was being dropped off at school a couple months later. Like, the anticipation was in multiple places. I felt at home in multiple places. But yeah, Yeah. there's definitely something about having a future and something to look forward to that creates a sense of home. And it's the lack of that future that can make a place not feel like home. Or at least give you the indication that it's time to find a new home elsewhere, yep. for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why right. I left New York, you know? I didn't feel that I had much of a future in that city, so now I'm here in the South, and I feel good. <laughs> that's great. Thanks, Jolie, for that great passage. It was really fruitful. I feel it, it took us to new ideas and revelations about the nature of home. Thanks for sacredly imagining with me. I picked this theme. <laughs> I didn't know how far we were going to get with home, but we've gotten a lot. We've gotten a lot of places. We've gotten far from home and we came right back. Like, <laughs> I'm very proud of us. 
It's a theme of the future. That's why. It's got. Yes. <laughs> That's good. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now's the time when we listen to a voice message from a member of our community. This message comes from Bree. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I was watching the first Harry Potter movie and noticed something I think is interesting, which is that Quidditch is a mixed sport. Um, sports are often very gendered. I was an athlete growing up and there was men's events and women's events and occasionally mixed events, but not very often. But Quidditch at Hogwarts, and I also think professionally, is the boys and girls playing together. Um, and I think that that's really interesting because we often view sports as <laughs> this very separate thing. Um, and I noticed at the Olympics that some events are having more mixed um, events going on than they have in the past. And there's also a lot of questions about gender and sport and what happens with trans and non-binary athletes. Um, and that has become a really strong point of contention and in, in some anti-trans legislation and stuff like that. So um, I think that it's, it's cool that <laughs> in this world that was built by somebody who's not very um, pro-gender diversity, that sports are actually a mixed thing where gender doesn't decide who gets to be on teams and there isn't, you know, the men's Quidditch team for each house and the girls or the women's Quidditch team for each house. It's just mixed and there are professional um, Quidditch players who are women. So 
I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Wow. I never thought about that, but that's so beautiful. Like, it never occurred to me that, like, oh, like, there's not a girls' Quidditch team or a boys' Quidditch team. It's just the Quidditch team, and everyone's allowed to play as long as you're in that house. Um, I, I, I love that because it really is about, like, who is the best athlete? And we see a lot throughout the books that some of the best and most formidable athletes and witches have been, have identified as women. Like, we have Hermione, the brightest witch of her age. Angelina Johnson, who is becomes captain of the team, is, like, a really ferocious player. Jenny, who can play any position on Quidditch, like, with immense skill and apparently has a really scary bat bogey hex, like... It really is just about everyone being the best player that they can be and bringing that out of each other that creates the best team. And I think that's a really good observation. And yeah, I like it. I like seeing everyone just be their best. Yeah, I agree, Julia. Thanks, Ree, for this voice memo. I think I think it's a great observation. And I, as I reflect upon it, it's even the case that, you know, when you hear the male characters talking before and after games, there's not even any suggestion of any suspicion of the abilities of of other players. Yeah, it's it really is just about who is the best at what they're doing. And yeah. I like that Quidditch, like you said, in the Wizarding World, there's no hint at like, oh, someone can't do this because they are a girl yeah. or someone is better because they yeah. are a boy. That's I think great. those stereotypes still exist and it's nice to see them kind of being broken down even in this fictional universe. I think it really does just boil down to like this question of belonging and who your people are. And if if your people are the other people who want to play and who play well, then that's your team, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're at home there. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ree, for that voice memo. It is now time for us to name those members of our community who have been loved and lost. Jenny Kanagaratnam, 66, a world-class caretaker and unexpectedly funny. Mark Otis Thornton, 53, a beloved gatherer of people. Raymond David Burkhart, a trumpet player, composer, mentor, and friend. Shastri Permanand, 51, a dad, uncle, storyteller, and chef. Alan Nabeonga, 29, daughter, sister, wife, and a ball of joy. And Emmy Treutler, 101, a great grandmother, a lover of books, and a socialist. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Jolie, now we're going to have some blessings. Who would you like to bless in the chapter? Okay, I hope I'm allowed to do this. I want to bless someone who isn't necessarily in the chapter, but they are mentioned in the chapter. I want to bless Sirius Black. Sirius. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're so focused, but you're focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> I just want <laughs> I just want to send a blessing for anyone who kind of has tunnel vision right now, who is really gung-ho about a particular task and they're feeling a lot, maybe a lot of pressure. They're not seeing way around it. They have to do what they have to do. And I admire your tenacity and I hope you give yourself some grace and stop and think a little bit about like, what are your options here? Does it have to be this way? Can, can we take another route to get to where we need to go? Serious. I just want to send a blessing to you as you do what you think is right. <laughs> uh, that's a great blessing. Thank you for that blessing. <laughs> I would like to bless Percy this week. You know, Percy is an irritating character and not always super likable. Um, but especially because of the theme of home, mm-hmm. I I just kind of felt like he doesn't quite feel at home in his family. I know that he leaves later and he betrays the Weasleys, and I'm not I'm not justifying any of that. But he his personality, his inclinations, his interests, his ambitions don't quite match with his family. That's not necessarily his fault or their fault. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to bless him because I don't think any of that's his fault, even though he makes bad choices later. I don't think any of that's his fault. And I'm glad he comes around in the end and the family reunites later on. But he's still a teenager, and I think he's probably having a hard time feeling like he fits into his own family. And he deserves a blessing for that. And so does anybody else who feels the same. Yeah, he was going to be my blessing because there's a part in the chapter where Fred or George make a joke and the whole family laughs at it. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, no one is on <laughs> Percy's side. I know. Percy does know, not right? feel... <laughs> Even Harry, and you're a guest at this table, Harry. <laughs> Every, everyone is laughing at Percy. And Percy didn't do anything wrong. He became head right. boy. This should be a That's good right. thing. <laughs> He's just doing his best. That's right. He's just doing his best. He's doing what he thinks he needs to do. And everyone, yeah, that's great. Blessings, Percy. So next week, we will be reading chapter five of book three, entitled The Dementor. And Vanessa will be telling us a story about redemption. Ooh, I'm excited. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. In a few days, on March 22nd, we will be having a virtual Winnie the Pooh pilgrimage with the wonderful Naomi Westwater. We will also be doing two in-person pilgrimages to the United Kingdom in April and in June. In April, we'll be walking with and reading Frankenstein with Dana Schwartz. And in June, Margaret H. Wilson will be leading a pilgrimage on the novel Pride and Prejudice. You can learn more about these pilgrimages and sign up at readingandwalkingwith.com. If you want more from the amazing and wonderful and wise Jolie Doggett, again, visit JolieDoggett.com. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week. Again, go to Jolie for this wonderful conversation and for visiting us again, and also to Ree for their really insightful and interesting email about sports in the wizarding world. Thanks also to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones who they have lost this week. Bye, everyone. Yeah, that's my story. I said it was short, but I feel like in post, they're going to add some wrap it up music by Nick Bowl, and it's fine. It's beautiful music. But yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it.